Well, good morning. Hey, I am really excited to kick off a brand new four-part series of messages today called Anxious for Nothing. Anxious for Nothing. I don't know if you will be able to relate to this. My guess is about 99.9% of us can. This first week subtitle, I would say, is When You've Had Enough. I don't know if you've ever had enough or if you're at a place right now where you feel like, yeah, I've had enough then this series is for you. It's for some people that you know. Um, This is a message series for those of you that come in here today, and if the truth were known, you've kind of got a heavy heart. You've kind of got a heavy spirit. It's just kind of life has squashed you down. You might be worried about something. It could be your health. It could be a health issue for someone else. It might be someone that you love. It could be aging parents and you're wrestling with all that comes with that. It could be that you're in a financial burden, right? That it's just pressures of life. It could be kids. It could be adult kids and the decisions that they're making. This message is for those people that are worried. You're battling some kind of fear, some kind of anxiety, whatever we want to call it. That's what this series is about. I want to start with giving you a uh, definition of anxiety because... Uh, You'll see why in a little bit. But maybe you don't even know if you have it. You're like, I don't feel like I have anxiety. Well, what is it? Well, the definition reads like this. It's a feeling of worry, nervousness, unease, typically about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. That's really what anxiety is. So with that in mind, how many of you would say, I know someone, pretty sure I know someone or several someones that have this anxiety stuff. How many of you are that person? Okay? And the rest of you, just stay tuned. Right? Because uh, I've been one that always has said I don't have it. My wife, or not my wife, but my daughter, um, has a master's degree in counseling. She's way more educated than I am when it comes to counseling and some of these things. And I know she's, the older she's gotten, the more qualifications, she diagnoses me with more and more stuff. Um, <laughs> So we're always kind of laughing. I said, I know, I got a lot of stuff with letters, right? Like OCD and ADD and ADHD. I got all kinds of stuff. Um, And she said, Dad, you do have anxiety. And I'm like, Keisha, I don't have anxiety. And she said, yeah, Dad, you do. And then I said, no, I don't. And and we just, yeah, it goes like that. And, and, (laughs) And I'll tell you a bit more of my story today. And, uh, well, just stay tuned. So what we're going to do over these four weeks is we're going to start in Philippians chapter 4. I'm going to read a key passage of Scripture that uh, we're going to look at every single week for four weeks. And then we're going to jump off of that. We're going to look at other supporting Scripture and stories that will support that big truth. All right? And and so what I want to do today is kind of give you the context. We're going to start in Philippians chapter 4. And we're going to look at Paul's story. We're going to look at what he wrote. And we're just going to hopefully let it kind of sink in. We're on this journey for four weeks, and I really encourage you to load in for four weeks because we're going to build off of this, but uh, I believe God's going to do some remarkable things in your life and in all of us in the next four weeks. So if you would, take out your message outlines. That way you can follow along. All that we do will also pop up on the screens, and you can fill in blanks, make your own notes. But let me kind of set the framework, if you will, for the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul had a remarkable life change, transformation uh, with his relationship with God, right? He more than anything now wants to go share the gospel. 
And so his dream thing is to go to Rome to preach the gospel to all of these folks to let them know of the good news. He goes to Rome, and instead of being able to preach for people, he finds himself locked up, falsely charged. He's thrown into prison. He's chained to a Roman guard 24 hours a day. Now, you can imagine, (laughs) this is your dream opportunity. You get there, and you had all these grandiose plans for sharing the truth and the good news, and instead, you're falsely charged. You're locked up in prison, and you don't know what the outcome's going to be. You don't know how long you're going to be there. All of this is going on in his mind, and when Paul is going through that, he is in prison, he pens these words under the guidance of God's Spirit. Here's what he writes in Philippians 4, 4 through 7. This is our key passage for this series. Here's Paul. Remember, he's a prisoner. (laughs) He had an idea of what he wanted. That's not happening. He said, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Are you kidding? Let your gentleness be evident to all. And then here's the key part for this week. The Lord is near. He's reminding them. The Lord is near as a prisoner. Verse 6, do not be anxious about anything. Another version says be anxious for nothing. But in every situation, no matter what you're going through, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, you present your request to God and get this. And the prayers, as you present these to God, if you're a follower of Christ, he said the peace of God which transcends all understanding, the human mind can't even comprehend, it will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. I'm going to ask if you would as we just bow for prayer together. Father, we'd ask that your presence would be evident to all of us here today. And God, that we, as we cast our cares on you, our worries, our anxieties, that we would uh, sense your love and your goodness. For all of us here in this room that know you personally, God, may we experience that peace that passes all understanding. And uh, may you give some hope to every single one of us in this room. We give you the praise in your name. Amen. One of the things that I love about Crossroads, and I love many things about Crossroads, one of the things I really love is that you folks, this is a family, and you folks allow me to be a real person, right? And and I'm going to be real with you today. Um, Everybody's got an idea of what a pastor does and what their life is like. And if it's anything like what I had when I was growing up, because this would have been the last thing. You could have given me a million job descriptions. I would have never thought pastor. Let me just tell you that. I don't even know what real pastors do, but I know what I do. And I'm, I'm just a normal person or a regular person, regular guy. Actually, you might, I'm an irregular guy, but probably not irregular like you think I'm irregular. Like, right? People got an idea of a pastor that everything's perfect in your home. And all you do is sit around and listen to, you know, spiritual music and read your Bible 24 hours a day. And they think I glow in the dark, right? Or whatever, not because of the shirts I'm wearing, but just, you know, they think there's, you know, a pastor can be everywhere and be everything to everybody and meet everybody's needs and you never get tired and you just go and go and go and you only work one day a week. I don't know all the stuff that you think, but I'm thankful for a church where I can just be me and I can be real and I can just be a regular guy. And so I want to tell you that um, I am regular. I'm as regular as they come, and I told you about my daughter and this thing about anxiety. Well, about two years ago now, I found myself in a place after doing this 30 years that I've never been before. It kind of came on. I don't know how it came on, gradual or whatever. Obviously, it built, but all of a sudden, I find myself, and the best way I can describe it is I was running on empty. 
I, the things that I did every day that I've done for years and years and years, I was struggling to do. I was, for the first time, not wanting to get out of bed and go to work. It was a struggle, the day-to-day grind, the pressures, the, the, all the hats that you wear, the leading of a church this big, and staff, and the demands that people have, and the creative thinking, and just planning and preparation to do what I do on Sunday morning. And all that became like I was trying to walk through thick, thick mud, and I just couldn't think, and I couldn't gather my thoughts, and, and it was a struggle. And I was overwhelmed, and I couldn't snap out of it, and I, couldn't, I didn't pray out of it, if you will. And so I found myself in this very, very dark spot, and not knowing what in the world was going to do, what was going to happen, and what if I just couldn't go on, and what would that look like? And what about my family? And what about supporting a family? And I'd just add more pressures. And you just, you kind of get my drift, right? It just caught up with me. And I'm not complaining. I'm not looking for sympathy. I'm just sharing your story because it goes in with what we're doing today and what many of you might feel in your own set of circumstances. But I just didn't have any gas left in the tank. And um, that was anxiety. <laughs> If you look at that definition, so my daughter was right. I don't even know if she's in here today to hear that, but she would have said something right there, so I know, I'm pretty certain she's not. Don't tell her I said that if she's, she'll have to listen to it. But I wonder, can you relate? Maybe not to that level, maybe more than that level, I don't know. But Paul in prison, like if anybody had circumstances to be anxious or worried about, it would be him. He didn't even know if he'd be out, get out alive, if he'd ever get out. And he writes, be anxious for nothing. Now, I don't know about you, but in that season of my life, I looked at my circumstances and, and reading that, be anxious for nothing, I'm like, how in the world could I not be anxious? How could I not be worried? Like, I don't even know if I can go to work. I don't, I don't know if I can keep my job, right? I mean, is being anxious for nothing even possible? I mean, in your circumstances, you might say, like, how could I not be worried or anxious about something? You don't understand. Look at the world that we live in. How can anyone not be anxious? We got mass shootings going on that are senseless. People killed over nothing. You don't even know these people. And, and there's all this stuff always in life today. And people are evil and mean and vindictive and divisive. and un- It's all of that. And you're saying be anxious for nothing? Is that even possible? Well, I want to look to God's Word today, an Old Testament story that may be a breath of fresh air for some of you. It's about a man that loved God. He loved Him greatly. He had seen the faithfulness of God, the power of God, the provision of God, but he struggled massively with anxiety. His name was Elijah. If you've never heard Elijah's story, you're in for a treat. If you've heard it, I hope you'll hear it today with fresh ears and see some things that you've never, ever seen before that could change your life and the rest of your life. If you don't know the context of Elijah, he was actually, Elijah was confronted by a very, very evil king, King Ahab. He called, Elijah had called King Ahab out on his sin. 
and he had prophesied to the king that a drought would come and significantly impact King Ahab's kingdom. He didn't like that news. And so the king got really ticked off and he decided to put a hit out on Elijah. He had in charge the whole armies of the land. The king did. And so he put a hit out to his armies that I want this man chased down, I want him discovered, found, and I want him killed. Now you can imagine if that wouldn't cause you some stress. It's not like even one person hates you. It's like there's a whole army, army and they've got your photo and they're looking for you and to kill you. And the king gave the order, so you better do it or he'll kill you. There was one time Elijah stood down 850 false prophets. So he's not some weak guy, right? He's 850 prophets. He stood down. That's cocky. That's that's a pretty big deal. Now, there was one time in my life this was really cool to me, and my wife wouldn't tell you it was cool. But listen, the best I have, right? This is a highlight or a low light, depending on which one of us you ask. But when I was in the Air Force and I was playing baseball, I actually stood down nine guys on a f- baseball field. It was them against me, and I walked away. And I can't tell you that whole story because my, I told my wife I would never share that again. But anyway, that's the best I got. Well, Elijah did it with 850 men. And now the king's after him and all the king's army. Here's this big guy, Elijah, that's done all this great thing. And yeah, he probably was a little shook up, but you know what happened? If you don't know the story, King Ahab, he was a bad dude. And he was a king, so he had all the power. But he had a wife that made him look like Mother Teresa. Like if he was bad, she was like super, super, super bad. And her name was Jezebel. And when she got the picture and heard what was going on, and they hadn't caught Elijah, and Elijah hadn't been killed, she told her husband, baby, basically, if you can't get the job done, I'll get him. I'll have him killed, right? So Elijah hears that, and he's even more afraid of Elijah's wife, Jezebel, than he was Elijah and the army. So now he's really freaked out. He's got this anxiety to the nth degree. He completely falls apart. He's overwhelmed with anxiety. He can't take any more. Some of you might be there in your own world. But I want to show you from Elijah's story four mistakes that he made that hopefully you and I won't make. I look back, I think I made all four of these in that season of my life. You might be making one or two or three or four of those right now. And this could be a big, big deal for you today. We're going to show, I'm going to show you in the text, 1 Kings chapter 19. We're going to start in verse 3. See if you can find those four mistakes he made. Scripture says this, Elijah was afraid. We know that he's freaking out. You know why he's so freaked out now. He's got this real deal anxiety going on, and he runs for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went on a day's journey into the wilderness. So he takes off running. I can get that. He came to a broom bush. He sat down under it, and get this, what he prayed. He prayed that he might die. Can I tell you, when you're worried, when you got anxiety big cooking on, you do some irrational stuff. Like, think how irrational this is. Why is he running in the first place? Because someone wants to take his life. So he runs, and he runs so far that he gets to a place, and he sits down exhausted, and he's running so I don't die, but he prays to God that he might die. I guess I'd rather you allow me to die, God, than me get killed. That may be. So he's struggling. (laughs) And he said the same thing that I said in my 
little season of life that maybe some of you are saying here today, he said, I've had enough. I can't take anymore. Do you realize when he ran to Beersheba, from where he was geographically, that was 100 miles? It reminds me of Forrest Gump. Run, Forrest, run. And you remember Forrest, just, he said, I just kept running, and I crossed this state line and that state line and that state. He just kept running. You know why, you know why Elijah stopped running? Because he got to the, where he couldn't run anymore because there was water there. He would have had to walk, run across the ocean, right? Run across water. So he had to stop. That's the only reason he stopped is he had to. And then he prays that God would take his life. And then he goes on to say, take my life, God, why? Because I'm no better than my ancestors. In other words, running, that were in hiding, and he didn't want to live like that. He couldn't take it anymore. Some of you relate. You're tired. You're wore out. You've done everything you know how to do, like I was doing everything I knew how to do to snap myself out of it. You're trying to pay this and pay that and pay this, and you're struggling, and then something else breaks. Something else costs you more money, and you just get overwhelmed. For some of you, it's your schedule. You're working, 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 and they just want you to work more, and you're working all this stuff, but you're wearing down. Or you're a single parent, and you're trying to juggle all these things, and you just get where you can't take it anymore. And for me, listen, it wasn't that they were asking me to do anything more, or I was asking of myself to do any more than I'd done for 30 years. It was just all of a sudden, it felt like all of a sudden, just one day, I'm like, I can't do it. And it's like, wait, why can't you do things you've been doing for 30 years? Like for you, it could be like preparing a meal, and you've done this like 100 or 15,000 times. And all of a sudden, it's 15,001, and you just can't even put it together. And you're just frozen, stuck. And it doesn't even make sense. That's where Elijah was. I can't take it anymore, God. I'm running for my life, but I appreciate it if you just let me die. We made four mistakes. Let's look at them. Here's mistake number one if you're taking notes. See if you're making any of these or all of these or a couple of these. The first mistake he made is when is running himself into the ground. We run ourselves into the ground. When we can't, when we've had enough, when we're stuck, when we're overwhelmed with anxiety, one of the things that we do is we run ourselves into the ground. Elijah did that. He physically ran himself in the ground, but he was scared to death. It, he was succumb, if you will. He couldn't run any farther than he ran. He ran over 100 miles. He just ran out of land. And he was still scared. He was still overwhelmed. Some of you are there right now. Some of you may not even recognize it until today. And all of a sudden you're going to be like, wow, you're right. That's where I'm at. I'm stuck. I can't take this anymore. I've run myself into the ground. He made that mistake. His second mistake Elijah made is he shut people out. I don't know if you've noticed, but we shut people out when we're overwhelmed, when we're anxious, when we're worried. I didn't even recognize as I look back now, I shut people out. My staff didn't even know. I say they didn't know. They probably knew before I told them. But eventually I told them. My wife obviously knew before I told her. I don't know if anybody at church knew because this was kind of an outlet of what I do on Sunday morning. It was all the other stuff that prepares for Sunday morning. It was all the meetings and the planning and the organizing and the creative thinking and the all the decision-making and the pressures that people, because their lives are falling apart and they want me and they don't even know I'm falling apart, right? And in that, I shut people out. Elijah shut people out. Remember what he said? He left his close friend, right? And he went alone into the wilderness. He left the people behind him that could have really helped. 
You know, one of the things that breaks my heart here at Crossroads is seeing so many of us on a Sunday morning and knowing that you're not connected either to a serving team or a small group and you're not doing life with other people. This is a friendly place, but you don't have many friends here or maybe any friends here. And you're doing life kind of on your own and God doesn't want you to kind of do it on your own. He wants you to share it with other people and you don't have to do it with hundreds, but you need to do it with some. Small groups are community here. It's doing life together. We're better in circles than we are in rows. And we want you to be a part. We don't want anyone doing life by yourself. So I would encourage you on the communication card, somehow, you need to let us know and we're going to do everything we can to create more opportunities for people to plug in with other people um, because you need it. And once you need it and you don't have it, it's too late. You just don't get to snap your fingers. But you got to take advantage of that when you're in it. And I was in a small group and they didn't even know. They beat me up since I finally had to tell them, right? And now I've said I won't do that again. So do that. So Elijah, what did he do? He ran himself into the ground. We tend to do that. He shut people out. We tend to shut people out. Matter of fact, your first step away from God is often away from the people of God, right? That's what happens. Here's number three. Third mistake, we focus on the negative. You ever notice when you're anxious, when you're worried, you tend to go more negative? The sky's falling, everything's falling apart. You don't have anybody's going to make it. Everything's negative. You hate everybody, <laughs> right? My life is so hard, I can't get it all done. There's just too much. I can't stand these people. I can't stand those people. I don't like anything going right for somebody else. It just reminds me that my life's falling apart. I don't like my job, right? I can't change it. I don't like it. I don't like my family. I'm not happy. I'm always going to be hurting. We're never going to make ends meet, right? That's what we do. We tend to focus on the negative when we're anxious, when we're overwhelmed. And that's what Elijah did. He's got all these people. He's got a lot of reasons to be a little anxious, right? All these people are coming after him. But here's the biggest mistake he made if you were ranking. They're all, they're all mistakes. Number four is we forget God. Elijah, of all people, forgot God on his journey. Get this, Elijah was so focused on how big his problems were that he lost focus of how big his God was. When we're overwhelmed, I know looking back on my life in that season of my life, I was so overwhelmed by everything around and how I was going to get out that I forgot about how big my God is. Oh, trust me, I prayed. Trust me, I begged God to get me out of the situation I was in. But it's easy to forget God because we're so focused on what's going wrong that we miss him. Elijah did that. I did that. You may do that. I've seen it happen hundreds and hundreds of times here at church. People walk away when things get bad, when they go through something they don't understand, when their heart gets broke, when somebody hurts them. Don't forget God. And of all people, Elijah, you may not know this, but the word, the name Elijah, E-L is the first two letters of Elijah. E-L, you know what that is short for? Elohim, which is a name for God. I in the middle is about my. And then J-A-H, ja, J -A -H, short for Jehovah. Yahweh. They wouldn't even say the whole name. They just say, yeah. Yeah. You hear when I say, yeah. 
You hear my breath? Elijah, his actual name means, my God is my breath. My God is my breath. So even he forgot even what his name meant, he forgot God. Even though he had seen God do all these miraculous things in him, around him, and through him, he falls apart. He forgot God. And you know what, he, what God did when Elijah forgot him? He came and ripped him up one side and down the other and said, Oh, you, I can't believe you are of such little faith. No, that's not what God did. That's probably what I would do. But that's not what God did. You know what God do, did? God met him in his need. He met him right where he was. And the way he revealed himself to Elijah, I don't want you to miss. I don't want you to miss these next few minutes and then we'll wrap it all up. Follow me in this. 1 Kings chapter 19. Here's what God, how God revealed himself to Elijah that was beyond taking it anymore. The Lord God said to Elijah, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord for the Lord is going to pass by. That would be good news. Oh good, I've been waiting. Good, I'm glad. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountain apart. That's a strong wind. You tear a mountain apart. And shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord, get this, was not in the wind. All this noise and this wind, and God wasn't there. And the wind, after the wind came an earthquake. The earth shook. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire. Huge fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. But after the fire came, a gentle whisper came, a breath. Does that ring a bell? Elijah's name, the Lord is my breath. The earth shook. The Lord wasn't in the earthquake. The wind howled. The Lord wasn't in the wind. The fire raged, but the Lord wasn't in the fire. I'd never picked up on this before, and those of you that are a little older will recognize this, right? The earthquake, the wind, the fire, earth, wind, fire. Oh, earth, wind, fire. Remember that group? Anyway. God wasn't in any of those loud things. The Lord came as a whisper, his breath. I want to illustrate this for you today. And so I'm going to ask, my wife, Debbie, is up in the booth. So Deb, would you come down? I, she obviously knows we're doing this now. I told her I might use her today as an illustration, and she was like, be nice to me. And uh, so obviously we did this the first time, but um, people seem to really get it, and so I pray that you will get it. Let me just tell you about my wife, Debbie. Um, when you talk about a better half, she absolutely is my better half. Um, no doubt about it. If you know both of us, you know that that's true. I'm not making that up. Um, we've been married this in December. will be 37 years. So she knows me better. Yeah. <laughs> I take offense that you're clapping that she's put up with me for 37 years. <laughs> but this is my wife, Debbie. And, um, I've asked her just to stand here and look anxious, if you will. This is a real person as I'm a real person, but I want to illustrate God's word. There was an earthquake, 
right? Can you imagine being an earthquake and everything shaking? We used to live in California. Earthquakes are no joke. But God wasn't in the earthquake. He wasn't in the wind, and it, was a, it blew mountains apart. That's a strong wind, unlike anything we've ever seen. Fire, that you just, it was fire. And we think God would speak in those loud ways, right? But he doesn't. You know what God often speaks in? He doesn't use the remarkable. I'd like something remarkable. But God speaks in the ordinary. Just the ordinary. You know why? You know why God doesn't speak often in the big, old, big, powerful stuff? Because God wants us to know he's close. You know who knows better than anybody else on this planet what I went through two years ago? The person that was the closest to me. The person that stuck with me. The person that hurt with me and couldn't change it for me, but she was close. You know why God whispers? You know why he whispered to Elijah? He wanted to know he was close. When you're close, you can hear a whisper. The devil speaks loud. The devil stands off and condemns, uses his words. How could you? You call yourself a follower of Christ. How can you lead people when you're falling apart? Look at what you've done. Look what you can't do anymore. And he condemns. You'll never make it through. You're always going to be stuck. You are worthless. That's what the devil does. He's great at that. But you know what God does? He gets close and he whispers. He says, I love you. I'm here. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Nothing can separate us. That's what our God does. That's why he whispers. Fill this in if you're taking notes. Why God whispers? God whispers because he's close. Because he's close. Listen, if you have a personal relationship with God through his son Jesus, which is the only way you can have one, I want you to be reminded today on this very first part of four messages that we're doing on this subject, that God is close. Anxiety is a complex issue. For some people, it might be a change of your diet is needed, and you might need to see a dietitian. For some of you, it might be a chemical imbalance. You need to see some doctor. For some of you, like me, listen, I realized I didn't have all that it took. And yes, God could have snapped his finger and got me out of it, but I had a counselor. I had a, a couple that specializes in helping pastors wade through some of this, and I flew out to Seattle for a week and spent time with them. But it was a process. Some of you need a trained counselor to talk to. You need someone to guide you through on your journey. But it's complex. But above all those things, here's what I want to sink in on this week one. If you know God personally through His Son, Jesus, the Lord is near. My God is my breath. He's close. Let me tell you the rest of the story for Elijah. 
this is maybe you've never noticed this before. <laughs> what was Elijah's greatest fear? Anybody remember? What's he's he's going to die? That he's being hunted down to be killed. And rather than get killed, he even asked God, could I die? But he's afraid of dying. Well, if you look at the end of Elijah's story, one day Elijah is walking with his protege, Elisha. They're just hanging out, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, comes a horse and a chariot out of heaven itself, and it swoops down, and it takes Elijah off of this globe, takes him to heaven. You know what's so amazing about that? The person that feared death never died like you and I are going to die. His body never physical died. God took him out and just took him home. How cool is that? The thing that he feared the most never, ever happened. You know what's pretty remarkable about that? Do you know statistically the stuff you and I worry about the most? Statistically, most of it never happens. We worry ourselves into a frenzy. We get anxious, and most of it never happens. You could say, based on Elijah's story, that Elijah was anxious for nothing. That that he feared the most never happened. Most of what we fear, oftentimes we're anxious for nothing. We make it way worse than it was going to be. And we forget God. And we focus on the negative. And we shut people out. And we run ourselves into the ground. And the devil applauds that. But it breaks God's heart. Because he's always faithful. He's always faithful. He never leaves us. He never forsakes those of us that have trusted our lives with him. And he's our breath. And he's close. Paul did not know the future of his life. Remember, he's chained up in a Roman prison. He doesn't know if he'll ever get out. He went there to preach the gospel. And the only people he can share it with are the jailers and the people right there in his cell. And he writes these words. Not only to his disciples but to all of us in 2019. Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, nothing's too little. With prayer and petition, that means going to God with it. Bring your request to God. And the peace of God, if you do that, if you're connected to him because you've put your faith and trust in him, the God of peace, which transcends all human understanding, will guard your heart and your mind and your soul in Christ Jesus. Why does our loving Heavenly Father whisper? He whispers because He's close. Our God is here. My God, through His Spirit, lives in here so we can trust in Him. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we ask that by the power that is above every other name, that today, even in the midst of trials and significant anxiety, worry, pressure, fears, doubts, insecurity, God, that we would experience a peace from heaven that goes beyond our human ability to understand. If you're here today and you know Jesus, listen, you might be under a tremendous burden. You might feel crushed. You might feel overwhelmed. You're anxious. You're worried. 
The devil loves to take you out of the game. He would have loved for me to just quit. Walk away. But that wasn't God's plan. You see, God wanted me to get even closer. To be reminded that he is close. And that he whispers. And that he's given me talents and abilities and resources. To be a part of his work here on this earth. And to carry it out. Listen, there's a lot of Christ followers on this globe that are doing nothing for God's kingdom, but there's not one Christ follower on this globe that has nothing to do. It's time for you to get back in the game. It's time for you to be real. It's time for you to get help. It's time for you to just pour out your heart to God and then to be still and quiet and know that he's close and hear his whisper. If you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, listen, you might believe in God. You might consider yourself spiritual. (laughs) But let me tell you, there's one way to God, and that's through his son Jesus, who came and lived, was beaten, tortured, shed his blood and died, defeated death on the third day so that you could. There's not two ways, three ways, four, five, or ten ways to heaven. There's one, and it's through the person of Jesus Christ. It's a gift. You can't earn, you can't buy, you can't work for. It's a gift that you simply receive. But it's a faith gift. The way you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior is you have to admit that you're a sinner. Invite him into your heart to take up residence. Ask him to forgive you of your sins. And guess what? When you do, he changes you from the inside out. He takes up residence in your heart. And from that day until all eternity, God will never see you and all you've done. He will see his perfect son living in you. That's what makes you acceptable and pleasing to God. And it's a gift. You simply just receive it. If that's you today, I want you to know you're not here by accident. You're here because of the goodness of God. He wants you into his family. And you do that by faith. If that's you today, right where you're seated, would you make this your prayer from your heart to God's ears? Pray, Heavenly Father. Today, as best I know how, I give you my life. Jesus, I ask you to save me. Forgive me of all my sins. Make me brand new from the inside out. Fill me with your spirit so I can live the rest of my days for your honor and for your glory and for all eternity. God, because I now belong to you, you are near and you'll never leave me. You'll never forsake me. And I say thank you. And I give you all the praise and the honor and glory because you alone deserve it. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.